This is episode 84 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Nikki Porter. Nikki is an equestrian mindset coach who teaches equestrian women how to shift their mindset to transform them from feeling disconnected, frustrated, and anxious to aware, connected, and confident. Her teaching translates seamlessly into an equestrian's work with their equine partner allowing them to become the horsewoman they long to be while navigating their personal growth journey. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm very excited to have author, equestrian mindset coach, and the host of two podcasts on the show today, Nikki Porter. Welcome, Nikki, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I uh, I really appreciate being on. And it's funny you say that. And I'm like, Oh, what? There, there's a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I know that's sort of how it goes when you're an entrepreneur and you start yeah. your own small business, like things keep getting added on. And I'm excited to talk to you about this because you know, you, you've written a book, but you've got businesses that touch back to the book. And I think this is going to be really an informative interview for other authors and small business owners and your coach. So I can't wait to talk about coaching with you as well. But for people who listen to the show often, how I always like to start it off and, you know, just to understand your world with horses, Nikki, tell us how horses have touched your life. So it's a really interesting question because horses have quite literally inspired every area of my life. Uh, I've been telling people my whole life that I started riding at seven and my mom just informed me like two weeks ago that I started riding at five. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. All right. I'll stick to seven because I like that number. But yeah, so started at a pretty young age and I really wouldn't be like who I am or where I am without them. Um, my life as an equestrian has shaped from me, how I parent, how I work, how I communicate. Uh, and the, uh, the future vision of myself, what I want to become is sh- literally shaped by my work with horses. And I'll talk more about that because it's, it's interesting because when I say work with horses, it's more work with horse people. I do work with horses and I look, am looking to actually transition to more of the people side. And we'll talk more about that later on, but it's uh, it's been an interesting journey, but in 2016, I, I began seeing the parallels between personal growth and the improvement in my communication with horses. So once I saw those connections, I quite literally could not unsee them. If I was going to clinics with my horse, if I was um, in a lesson, I when I looked at my notes, I wasn't taking notes directly on um, what I was taking away for just myself and my horse. It was literally notes that were trans it's transforming my mindset and how it was showing up in every other area. And that's, we'll talk about that later too. That's really how the conscious communicator came to be. But once I saw them, I started realizing that improving the life of horses was like my why for doing all of the personal growth work. 
and being a better version of myself, you know, for the horses, but it was, it was trickling into all the areas like my marriage and my parenting and my friendships. And then knowing that, that really growing um, was this vital piece of becoming a better horsewoman, then it made me willing to like dig a little deeper, honor myself, honor my feelings. And then as I went through that, it also gave me an opportunity to say like, I can help other people through their personal growth journey. And so, you know, when I started, I was like, I want to help all the people. <laughs> uh, and then I realized that it's no, I, it's, it's, there's something about horse women and this journey that we tend to go on from what I see, it's, it's typically between the ages of like 25 and, and 45, where we start to just look and say like, I deserve more. I feel like I want more. I want to show up better for myself and my, and the people around me and, uh, and the horses are an incredible why. So then you crash through all the excuses. So that's, that's horses for me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And make sure you check out Nikki's show notes because she sent me this incredible picture of her coming to a sliding stop in a, in a raining class, I think is, you know, yeah. you, you have all your Western gear on. So is raining your, what you do or have you had a broad experience in your discipline? It's been a broad experience. So I started out in the English world mm -hmm. and um, competed at a, at a pretty good level there. And I kind of joke and say I can, I peaked in the English world when I was 14 <laughs> because I went and showed at the Royal with my large pony and it was an experience and a half. It was amazing. But then I decided I would stop riding. I, I was, I was, uh, riding children, children's hunters at the time and needed to go off to university and had this picture of what education needed to look like for myself. And, um, thought I could just step away from horses and very quickly discovered that's not possible uh, <laughs> when it's in your blood. So I, you know, I was in the English world until I met my now husband uh, at the age of, I think I was 24 when we, you know, met and no, I was 25 when we met and started dating. And he, he was just so involved in the sense that he, before we met, he would literally ride 365 days a year, like Christmas. He, he was riding. Uh, he was just, he started riding at the age of 25. So he and I are a little bit different in age, but he started riding at 25 and he just went all in. And it was amazing to go from like where I was, where I was kind of trying to hold back a little bit and then meet this person who was, he was just so invested. And so then, yeah, so we met and uh, I went into the horse for, or the Western world full force. He was a cattle penner at the time. And I had to ride with all the open riders because that was, that was the community that I was in and they were extremely competitive. And we ended up um, showing the main circuit actually, uh, for it was CMTPA, so Central Maine Team Penning Association. We sorted and penned with that association, which is a seven hour drive from home. So we did, I think, seven of those trips and dabbled a little bit in, in barrels and poles, but I think that was just like one summer, just played in it. And then I think it was after 10 years, I would say, of really like doing trail stuff. So we do extreme trail. My husband and I actually teach. Uh, horsemanship and trail clinics together. And so we got really involved in that and really involved in the pennings and sorting. So all winter long, we host shows, pennings and sortings and clinics. And then all summer long, we teach horsemanship and trail. 
So I really was in all that. And what I could see was that I wanted to advance my horsemanship. So I wanted to be able to bring my riding and my, my handling to the next level. And I looked around the Western world and said, like, where is that? Where am I seeing that? And that was in the reigning pen. The focus was phenomenal. The, like, I just, I was in awe of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided that I would get myself my first reigning horse. And it was the very first time in, I think, my life that I bought a horse that already had the foundation that I wasn't building myself and that he was going to be teaching me something from the get-go. And it, yeah, he's amazing. So I've only, because of COVID, I've only done two shows with him. Actually one full show, the other show, um, I just did one class because that was all that was available to us, but it's been an interesting adventure for sure. I'm excited to be able to actually like get back in the pen and, and develop more as a rainer, but that's- yeah. Oh my gosh, that is such a cool story. You married a horseman. How lucky are you? Like that is so cool. And you get to do that kind of life together. I mean, that's like sort of a a young equestrian's Mm -hmm. dream is like to wind up with a horseman. That's very cool. And then I I love that you said that because it's, it's, that's the way it's always been for me. It's like, I've gotten a horse and then developed that horse into like a show quality horse. Like I do the Western world also, but I've never done the flip where I've buy one that is ready to go. So that's got to be a completely different experience and totally contributes to the work that you are doing. Yeah. So before I get to the next question, what what came first, your business or the book? Because I think that we should talk about which whichever one came first. That's a really good question. I started writing the book when I was still teaching and wasn't quite sure that I so I was a high school teacher and I wasn't quite sure if I was going to stay there, I've been, I was looking for a plan B, but didn't really have a good picture of what that was, was really invested in my own personal growth, my own development as a horse owner. And, uh, so it took me two years to write my book and it was about halfway through that I started to really get a clear picture of what I wanted to do and started to see that it was possible for me to step away from the traditional classroom and essentially create my own curriculum and create my own classroom and really started to, to hone in on like, who am I speaking to? What do I have to offer here? It was, it's interesting because I kind of picture it. Like I had this thing behind me that I knew there was something there. It was like this driving force that, that really spoke to me and said, like, you have something here. Like there's, there's something behind connecting these two worlds And so, yeah, really when I said, okay, I'm done with teaching is when I was like, now I need to land uh, on what's kind of been in the background for so long. So the book really, I kind of say it's just me writing my own textbooks or Mm -hmm. curriculum. Mm -hmm. And, and I I love, I love that we had that conversation because like often working through a book helps Mm -hmm. all that other stuff, like push out and you're like, okay, now I see it's like, you know, it's like the it begins everything often and the book becomes a starting point and then all this other stuff happens around it. So, so tell us about, uh, the conscious communicator. I love that title. Tell us, tell us about your book and then we'll get into like what stemmed out of starting that project. I will. All right. So I'll show you a picture. This is interesting actually, because I believe it was six years ago this past weekend that I looked out the window of my house and this is a picture of my backfield. Mm. And I looked out 
and it was the most incredible sunset and the horses were in the backfield. And I just said to my husband, I like, I have to go, I have to go grab my camera. I'm going to take pictures that like, I can't, I could, I couldn't stop myself. I was like, I have to go and do this. <laughs> so I went out, took all these beautiful photos and came back and I put them in an album on Facebook and I called it what you seek is seeking you. No idea why. Like it, it was just like, uh, it was a quote that stood out to me, thought it was nice, put these beautiful pictures in that album, left it there. And then, so I was going through Facebook one day and I came across a quote that said, they, I always say she, but it isn't she. They approached it like it was heavy. So it was. And so oftentimes I'll read something and then it'll keep coming back to me and keep coming back to me. And that's when I know I actually have to do some writing around what I'm processing. So I woke up at like two or three in the morning per usual and rolled over and just typed the line out on my phone and then sat down on my computer the next day. And that I, I just kept writing and kept writing around that line and really thinking about you know, what does that mean when it comes to connecting our feel for life and our feel with our horses? And, and that line really, it really connected my two worlds where I was like, that's why people, you know, the people I'm working with, that's why they're struggling with their horse and they're trying to find softness and connection and, and they're picking up, like whether it be mentally or physically, they're picking it up like it's heavy. So it's always going to be. And it's the exact same thing with our mindset, with situations in our life. You look at it, you expect, you look for the things that are going to be challenging and you go into those situations with a certain amount of resistance or braciness that actually gives you the very thing you don't want. So that, that line um, transformed kind of my world for two years. Uh, I wrote and wrote and wrote uh, and again, went to clinics and, you know, just started making these connections between like, when I'm looking to, to enhance my communication as a horse owner, how can that enhance my communication as a horse, as a woman in general, I communicate better with horses than I do with people. And <laughs> High five to that. Right? <laughs> like, it's a thing. And, you know, I had to be really honest about that, but there were things in my teaching that I excelled in. And there were things in my horsemanship that I excelled in. And I had to kind of connect those as well and say like, why, where are these pieces coming together? So in the end, I wanted to write a book that people could pick up and it would inspire them to just take a step back in their communication. And when I say the conscious communicator, like that, that's it. Like we're, we're looking to consciously communicate both with ourselves, our horses, the people around us versus just running on this autopilot. And it's when you can slow down and do that. And I don't know, like it would be a totally different book if I wrote it today than it was then. But it, you know, when we do that, then we find joy and connection. If it's when we're really stuck in those times of, you know, habitual communication with anybody that we feel like things are spinning because we're, we don't feel as in control. We don't feel as confident. We feel like other people are influencing us in ways that maybe we aren't as happy with. So I really started dissecting all of those things in my life. And then uh, the conscious communicator came to be. Well, that's amazing. And I'm a hundred percent inspired. I love what 
I love what you're saying there. You know, it's like I'm hearing like connectedness and softness and empathy and also integrity and like, mm-hmm. whoa, man, slow down a little bit. Right. You know, and it's like, and horses, can't, horses do teach you those yeah. things, but if you're not looking at them either, you can go rushing around them and, and not have those, those really connected moments. So I, this, what an amazing thing to like, look at this stuff and just really kind of separate it out and then write a book. Uh, totally inspiring. Like that, that is so awesome. And then from this examination and this book that you've written, you're, you, you have expanded that, right? So you are now an equestrian mindset coach where you work with people on kind of these topics that you're talking about. But I love this because when I was galloping around your website, you know, looking at how to develop the questions for our interview, you know, it says that you are an empowerer and, you know, you use your teaching experience from the classroom and the barn to access your clients' limiting beliefs and guide them uh, to clear up their communication with themselves and others, which you've kind of touched on during our interview. You know, talk to us about what, what you do, but also I'd love to hear your perspective on what it means to you to be an empowerer and mm-hmm. then what a limiting belief looks like, but like how, how people show up with limiting beliefs that you can help them work through. Like, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. So I, when I read this question, when you sent them along, I was like, the first thing I thought of is it actually took me right back to my very first year of teaching. So when I started teaching in the classroom 12 years ago, I had to teach a, uh, a unit called empowerment. And I remember getting the textbook and looking at the word empowerment and actually Googling it. Mm-hmm. And being like, what is the true definition of this? And that was like this the first time that I really inv- and I'm I'm a words person, I'm a language person. So it it means something to me to really like dig into it and be like, what's that even mean? Like, what am I teaching grade seven students about empowerment? Now this was social studies, so it was like a, on a political level in in many ways. But like, what does that look like? I remember seeing that word and really thinking about it from a perspective like teaching it to others. And realizing it was the first time I'd actually invested thinking into it for my, in my entire life. So at this point I was, uh, I want to say 24 or 25. And when I left teaching, which was in 2017, I received a really interesting gift. So the teaching staff had created, actually I can see it from where I'm sitting and it's this beautiful, like piece of decor for my home. And it has my maiden name at the top and it has my nameplate with my married name at the bottom. And throughout the whole thing, it's all these different words that the staff used to describe me. And one of the first ones I saw was empower. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've just come full circle here. Starting out you know, really investigating that word and having to teach this concept of empowerment and then knowing that's the direction I wanted to head in life and then having that word be something that someone connects with what I do, both in the classroom or or out. So that was very cool for me. I felt like the gift that they had given me really allowed me to, you know, see can I do what I'm doing? So it almost did the very thing that they thought I was being able to do for others. So it really was an empowering gift that they gave me as I headed off into this unknown world of creating my own business and and doing these things and creating 
creating a business that it it's not, I wasn't coaching in a way that I was seeing other people coach. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was going and saying, okay, I'm just a mindset coach and coaching all of the people. I wanted to like get to the nitty gritty of things and niche it down and work specifically with horse people on personal growth. And I remember my, my editor, who was a phenomenal editor for the conscious communicator, she sent my book to a senior editor and she could not connect to it at all. She essentially told me that no one will want to read it. It makes no sense. There is no connection between horses and finding joy. And like, she, she was not, she wasn't my audience, Carly. <laughs> yes. This is why market research and finding right. your audience and your niche, you said you niche that. And that's so important. Right. It's because then yeah. you're speaking to people that get it, you know, that, that Absolutely. is, that was, I'm really glad you, you, you it was, it was the best lesson. True. So I, it was amazing for her. She, she wrote a whole page of notes to me and not one of them was, uh, was positive. And it was an entire page and she didn't even bother to finish reading the book. So I was like, I was slammed. My editor was slammed. We were like, what is even happening? And I needed to have that awakening before I pressed submit on my, on my manuscript, because I needed to see that whatever I was saying, it was going to land on the right people. Mm-hmm. And that it was also going to land probably in the hands of people that it wasn't meant for. And it just wasn't going to make sense to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you asked, you asked in your interview questions about like the hardest part of being a coach. And I think that it's like, when, when you're a coach or when you're a writer or a podcast host and you're putting your ideas and, and information out there, um, there are people that are going to come into your life that they're starting a journey or they're at a point in their journey where they need the information to be brought up to them, but they're not actually ready to hear it yet. So it needs to just ruminate there. And you're the initial piece. You're the catalyst maybe to the change but you're not actually going to see when it makes sense for them. It might be five years down the road. It might be 20 years down the road. I remember the very first time somebody told me to read, what was it? No, it was to watch The Shift, the movie The Shift. And I believe it's by Wayne Dyer. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I went back to it and I was like, I can't, like, this doesn't make sense to me. Well, now it makes sense to me 10 years down the road. So, you know, that's the most difficult part of coaching is, is meeting people when they're not quite hundred percent ready. You're just that like piece that starts them thinking on what, you know, the direction it starts to guide them in the direction, but there's still some resistance there. I'd love yeah. to hear what, what does it look like for someone who comes to you? Like, I love that you just said, people aren't always ready. And like, I completely respect that and how you can come back years later and then be like, Oh, now Mm -hmm. I totally understand where this person was trying to steer me, but I was resisting because there is a lot of resistance in human growth. Yeah. (laughs) And there's resistance with the horses too, always. And then notice that. So what would it look like if someone was coming to you with their limited beliefs and they, and they wanted to start working with you around mindset? Like how, how do sessions with you work? Okay. So when you bring up the, the concept of limiting beliefs, when I think of how limiting beliefs often show up for us, and I really had to look at myself first and really had to deep dive. And interesting, we spoke about switching disciplines mm-hmm. and 
amazing what switching a discipline and putting yourself in the beginner stage of something that you've, you know, really been in, in your whole life, all of a sudden you're a beginner and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. When we look at the stories that we tell about ourselves, about our, what we can or can't do, oftentimes that's where we find those limiting beliefs. And, and sometimes it just takes someone to listen and to offer some sort of scope. So you can just take the roof off and look in a little bit, um, to truly see them and see, you know, where they are, how, they're being impacting or impacted by the world around them, but how they're specifically impacting the world and then how to change the limiting beliefs that they have. So when it comes to work with me, it's funny you ask because it's so, it's literally changing. I feel like it changes by the day, but I'm currently enrolled in something called Natural Leadership School with Beth Killo. And if you're listening and you don't know Beth at the Circle Up Experience, you should check her out. She's an incredible. So I'm, I'm in this, this program with Beth. And Beth and I met through Take the Reins podcast. And she came on and uh, did an interview with me. And we immediately knew that we were kind of teaching the same things. Only she had this amazing model and this framework that I seemed to be like, I wasn't necessarily, I, sh I should say missing it. I was missing it. I needed something to be able to lay it out the land a little bit so that it felt uh, a little more linear for people. And so Beth and I decided we were actually going to teach together. So I reined back on any one-on-one -on -one coaching and started to focus in on group coaching. And so Beth and I created this program called the Aware Horsewoman. And over this, it should be way longer. Like the, the, the course I'm in with Beth is nine months. Mm. And the course that we offered was six weeks. <laughs> so it's just literally a like snippet of what we're, we're diving into. But so Beth and I came together, we created the Aware Horsewoman. And through those six weeks, it was really interesting because exactly what I was looking to be able to create for my clients in the one-on-one -on -one was starting to happen in the group. Only it was happening while these incredible women were building rapport and, and, and connections with women they'd never met before, but they're starting to see they're not alone. Uh, and that, you know, it is hard, but that when we have support and that's what the one-on-one -on -one stuff I knew was missing. I was missing that piece where when I wasn't available, that they still felt like they were supported. So it was, it was an amazing opportunity to be able to teach with her. And one of the best things that one of the women in the program said was, she was like, you know what? I feel like I, you know, every time I've gone to a clinic, I take this baggie and I get these pearls of wisdom from all of these teachers and I just put them in the baggie and then they're there. She said, and being with you and Beth, I feel like you're taking each of those, those pearls out and just stringing them on a necklace. And she said, now I can wear it. And it like gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because it was such a powerful image where I think that's, that's where I was coming from in the, in the personal growth world, where, you know, you have all these amazing pieces of information, but you need you. And this is exact Beth said, I can see you need a container and I'm going to help you. And I cried when she told me that, because I knew that she was exactly what I needed to be able to you know, teach the way I wanted to. And so it's amazing because you can just bring them all together 
And instead of just picking things out of thin air, now you actually have a framework. What working with me now looks like versus what working with me a year ago looks like is very different. And I'm probably not going to go back there. I'm really going to start focusing more on the the group aspect because the collaboration is Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The connection that people can make. And uh, I just spoke with Beth this week and she was like, oh, we need to like set a date. So we have to set a date for our next course, um, which is going to be the same six week course only now it's going to just modify. This was a pilot program because it was new to us. Mm -hmm. And now we'll just be informed with what we're going to do next. So yeah, that is so cool. Really long answer. But, but, (laughs) but so interesting too, at the same, same time, like a couple things to unpack one what a compliment putting the pearl mm-hmm. on the necklace and putting it all together because it is true. We read all these things, we listen to all this stuff and it's, it's all kind of out there, but when someone can package it up or put it in a framework mm-hmm. that helps it all make sense is just a beautiful thing. And then I also love, I love that you mentioned, you know, it's constantly evolving. That's what small business is. That's what, you know, stepping off the ledge and jumping into a dream is like you, you don't always know exactly how it's going to work at first and you keep you keep growing and it gets stronger, but the commitment from what I'm hearing, the commitment is straight. there, always the same to the same people, the same audience, but it's just, how can I improve this? Right. And then I love that you mentioned that you found another kindred spirit to work with and grow your work, because I find that we're not islands. Like the more people we bring in that are similar and can help us grow as we're helping others grow, I just think that's such a beautiful thing. Like you found somebody else to build something with. And often that's where the success comes from. It's through collaboration, which you mentioned. So I love that. You start your own business. It can be really lonely, Mm -hmm. right? There's many days that I'm down here kind of in my office going like, I have to, I have to do this and, and sort things out. And, and when you're on your own, it feels like it's such a long road. Mm-hmm. Um, so really getting to work with Beth, that was amazing. And I also work with my co-host with Canada Horse Podcast, Nadine Smith. She and I run something called Informed Equestrian together. And she and I, we are so complimentary to each other because she's organized <laughs> in in like a very clear and concise way and i am the like creative she's very creative as well but we flow really well together and i think that's that was the key that was missing as well was just being able to say like you know i'm not alone mm-hmm. and then knowing that that's how i felt and then seeing that shift for the clients as well that were in the group program to develop those relationships was really cool as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now I wanted to ask one more question yeah. about the coaching. So do do your 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 core audience is like women equestrians, right? Because they have this certain way of viewing the world because they've been with horses or they know horses or they're learning horses. But in your sessions, do are, do horses show up do, or do you talk about horses? Do you bring horses into the sessions? Like are horses involved in any way or like how, how's all that fit together? Yes. It's, it's interesting because when I start, well, I used to teach lessons Well, I still teach lessons, but I'm stepping kind of away from the actual in person horse lessons because what was happening is I was teaching the lessons and then the things were coming up 
from my other pieces of work. And we're spending a lot of time talking about the things they needed to work through before they even put their hands on their horse, right? So a lot of times the lessons would be half talking and half riding or half half groundwork. So when I'm coaching, it's interesting because uh, Beth and I, when we did this program, I did all of the horse human exercises and we talked about like the horse human contract and what it looks like when we invest ourselves in horses and how that encourages us, encourages us to really commit to showing up differently. So we did incorporate or incorporate horse exercises, but they were like exercises of to enhance your awareness and your presence and, and recognizing, slowing yourself down, enhancing your pace and feel. And so we did that with the horses, but at the same time, it's the examples are also happening in real life. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you work on every single day. But for example, some of the modules would be there's pace and feel, there's pressure, uh, there's awareness, there's um, mindset, and um, oh, what are the other ones? There's two more. I know I won't be able to get them right off the top of my head, (laughs) but these are all concepts that are very prevalent in our horsemanship. Mm -hmm. But when you can take those familiar concepts and apply them to your humanship, the foundation of how you show up in everyday life, then things just start to make sense. So in all of my coaching, uh, 90% of the time, horses are brought up and the examples of how things play out, they're the feedback system, right? That we, we all need that feedback. The horses are the ones that give us the immediate feedback. Our families and our, the people around us, they give us feedback maybe a little more slowly <laughs> or even ourselves. Um, but the, the horses are just like that. So it's really using them as this, as this mechanism for people to be able to say, Oh, that's why I'm doing this. Right. Okay. That's right. And one, one thing that Beth and I spoke about in our very first interview together is I look at people who, who own horses And then I look at people who go and they take sessions with um, equine facilitated learning. And there are people who have never in their life touched a horse. They have no understanding of horses and they're gaining all this incredible knowledge and insight about themselves and the world and how they show up in the world from these sessions with equine facilitated learning. And there's these people who own horses that are missing these incredible opportunities Mm -hmm because they're like so in it, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to those other opportunities that are necessarily designed for horse people. So I wanted to really begin to be able to close those or like, I guess, bridge that gap a little bit where the people that own the horses, the women that want the connections can see that, you know, they, this is, it's almost like self-therapy, right? <laughs> so, so there's this concept of that I I've just been kind of looking into where people are saying like, you should have a therapist, but there's the concept of bringing it home too. It's like that self-therapy piece. And so for our horses, like you should have a coach, but there's this, this other piece where you're on your own and you can really bridge those gaps in order to, uh, to really, I guess, facilitate the connection that we all desire to have with our horses, but 
don't necessarily have the answers of how to do it. Yeah. It's all, it all intertwined and comes yeah. together. I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, and I love that you, you provide these modules, but then there's this opportunity to take it home and yeah. work with, I mean, because you don't get better at anything without practice. So you have to practice the things that you learn in order for them to become habitual or what have you, but you're giving them opportunities to work at home with their animals, but then it applies to the energy that they're putting out in other spaces and just being a oh, human. Yeah. I love that you said humanship. That, that yeah. was really cool. Well, I had, I had a message. It's interesting you say that I had a message from, uh, one of the women that were in the program today. And she said, Oh my gosh, like, I'm just so grateful. She said, because I think she just moved into a new position at work. And she said, this has saved my bum so many times. (laughs) And it's stuff that we're using the horses as examples for, but you can bring it, you, you should, because it applies and it's, it's important to all these other areas. And it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even feel like you're learning something you don't know because Mm -hmm you already know it. It's already there. You're just kind of being reminded of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you mentioned a couple of times, uh, you, you are a part of a couple of different podcasts where I, I believe Take the Reins is one where you expand on some of these concepts that we've been talking about here today. And you have a co-host. You want to tell us a little bit about your two podcasts and what people can what? find there? So Take the Reins is a personal growth podcast for horse owners. So that's where I was like, I have to connect these worlds. There is no denying that becoming a better person impacts your horse. Mm. And there's also no denying that personal growth is hard. And that if we can have an excuse not to do the hard work and feel the emotions and have the hard conversations and set the hard boundaries then we're going to just say, no, I'm not, I I don't need to do that. So this was my way of showing that horses can really be the why in order to, to smash through those and to be able to commit to doing the work and to show the impact on like every horsewoman wants to do the best for their horse. But we've also been, I guess, sort of conditioned to feel like when we do things for ourselves, it's selfish. Mm -hmm. So if we can get rid of the feeling like we're doing this personal work just for us and we say you're doing it for your horse, then it's like all in, right? We're no problem. I can make time for that. Mm-hmm. I can make time to go and meditate for 10 minutes if it means that I'm going to have a better ride and have, you know, more clear communication, be able to apply pressure more fairly, be able to let go of all the stuff that uh, is, is, you know, impacting my energy today as a result of work. And I don't want to take that to my horse. I don't want to have them have to deal with all of my stuff too. Mm. That's my responsibility. So that's take the reins. And we talk a lot about awareness a lot of the time uh, and just really being able to, uh, to connect those dots. But I've interviewed a lot of really incredible people on that show. Uh, Warwick Schiller was my first interview which was uh, a dream come true. It was pretty cool. And then I've had people like Barbara Schulte and Beth was amazing. Uh, actually, the the episode with Beth, it's episode season two, episode 41. And I just learned this week that it is um, up for, it's a finalist as a part of the Horse Radio Network in the uh, American Horse Publications Awards. So 
that was pretty exciting to hear. That's very awesome. Yeah. American yeah. First Publications is incredible. To, that's a very prestigious award. Congratulations. So that's Take the Reins. Canada Horse Podcast is a relatively new podcast that has come out. Take the Reins, I think I started that in November 2019, I believe. Mm. And just on a break right now with Take the Reins, season three starts in September. And so Canada Horse Podcast is a podcast that I started with my friend Nadine Smith. And she is new to the podcasting world, but has such a passion for what we're talking about that she's just come into it full force and doing a great job. <laughs> and so there we're highlighting the Canadian horse industry as much as possible, but we've kind of taken a little bit of a cool turn recently. And so we knew that when we started Informed Equestrian together that we wanted to create a podcast as well and, and do these things. But the main thing that was driving us to do this and build uh, build any sort of educational platform was around this concept of how can people land on answers based on their own needs, not based on the opinions of others, not based on what uh, everyone in the barn is doing, not based on what, you know, this person had this problem and, and their opinion, all based on these are your options, what's best for you and your horse, and how do you make those decisions in a supportive environment without the judgment and negativity of others. So we wanted to really create this safe place for people to be able to land on their whys and be able to assess, like, we had one episode where we talked about helmet wearing. And I wore a helmet as an English rider every day. I never rode without a helmet. And I switched to Western and I did not take my helmet with me. And I've been riding for 11 years without a helmet. I bought a new helmet recently. It's beautiful. But we talked about why. Like, why was it important then? And why did I feel awkward putting a helmet on in Western tack now? Like what has changed? I'm a mother now. That should, that should make me want to wear one, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there were all of these different things. And so we talked about concussion awareness. We talked about, you know, making those conscious choices. And what are the, the, uh, the pressures on us that make us make choices against our better judgment? Mm -hmm. So just topics like that, we've talked about, uh, the negative judgment in the horse world. Most recently, uh, we had an interesting uh, situation on TikTok where Nadine had her hat on backwards in one of the clips by mistake. She was doing one of those really quick change things. And she was like two, two hours into this, this like making of a one minute TikTok <laughs> and had to go get her son. And she chucked her hat on quick and it, it, she looked so good. Like she was just, she had so much confidence and she walked into the frame and her hat's on backwards. I didn't even notice I was editing <laughs> and people started commenting really not very nice things. So like you look like a drugstore cowboy at the Calgary stampede and, uh, just like not very nice things. So at the same time, another individual Courtney D. Oh my goodness. I can't Courtney remember. DeHoff? Yeah. Yeah. I know her. I like, how can I not remember Courtney's last name? Courtney <laughs> DeHoff. She, you probably saw that on Instagram, she was talking about this incident that she had where these, these people attacked her for a fashion photo shoot 
that she had done in and and saying like you've probably never worked a day in your life and just these nasty nasty comments and so we came together we in a matter of hours we brought together myself Courtney Nadine a girl named Deidre Fox mm-hmm. and she's just you know she's a powerhouse when it comes to positivity as well and also Renata who runs Pale Horse so we came together and we were like we're going to have a conversation about this how can we actually encourage people just to take a step back. And so now we're a little, a little driven to take on some topics like that. Um, Next week, we're recording a podcast episode about uh, buying and selling of horses. My husband just sold his, uh, his horse that literally anyone who saw them, they were like, they're the same. Like his horse was a blue roan. He has black and gray hair. They had the same personality. They just, they were so meshed together, but and, and people are shocked that he sold him, mm. but there's reasons why we sell horses. There's reasons why we keep horses. And so we want to talk about the judgment that goes along with making those decisions. And so that's, that's Canada horse podcast right now, but it's, it's going in a really cool direction. I'm really excited about it. Oh my gosh. That is a super cool direction. And these are the kind of conversations that I think people sometimes are afraid to have and, and they're important. Like this, yeah. you're looking at something really, really important. And I think this a little bit, uh, you know, like the how people have just the freedom to just comment however they want without thinking, you know, especially on with the power of the internet now. I think Mm -hmm. this also applies to the authors that are listening to this show too, with people who who just shred you on reviews because they can, because nobody knows who they are, right? Like, what what would you say to an author that's dealing with their first? negative review. I mean, that's just the way it is. Art is subjective. It's like you were saying, you know, if you, if the wrong audience picks up your book, they're not going to get it. And they're the ones that probably are, but like what, you know, having dissected some of these things and doing the work that you do, what would you say to an author that struggle that sees their first negative review and are like, Oh my goodness. Like first that's thing, creative heart. You just stuffed on. <laughs> first thing that I r- encourage anyone to do is read big magic. Oh, Um, best book ever by Elizabeth Gilbert. So good. So good. It's so good. And so that, that can kind of help you get through those moments of, of doubt and saying like, can I, should I? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other thing is the quote, I, I don't know who said it, but it's around the idea of like, unless you're in the arena getting your butt kicked too, then I don't want to hear your, your opinion. And I think that's what it is. If you're, if you're writing and you're getting people coming at you with any sort of insults or, or any negativity at all, I think it's important to say like, I'm showing up, I'm in the arena. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that, that comes with it so much courage that your pride in your work has to overpower the doubt that they're going to try to make you feel. And then I think it's really important as you're going, like, so this was one thing, if you're making a a life choice, right? So oftentimes when we're doing things like this, we're like, we have to let go of some other things in order to pick up the things that, that inspire us. And, and we need to make room for those. So for instance, myself, when I left teaching, I left teaching children who I really cared about. And I loved teaching, but I knew I needed to, to do something else for myself. And, you know, the thing 
that, uh, that helped me go, I can do this. I can be an author. I can write what I know needs to be written from me, even if it's just to get the words off my chest, but I know it's going to make an impact on someone or else I wouldn't want to publish it. There's something there. Someone needs to read it, but it's the line, or it was Oprah's line of you cannot live a brave life without disappointing someone. Mm. And I think that that idea of disappointing and playing small and not really wanting to to have other people be impacted by what you do. You don't want to make them feel bad. You don't want to make them. I, that's not our responsibility. If we can think of the people that we are positively impacting. So right now I'm I'm doing a, a, a collaborative book project. So I've hired Nadine because she's incredibly organized and we have Heather Wallace is going to be publishing with us. We don't have a name for the book project yet because it's collaborative, the same as the book. And so we're in the process of, of making it. But we had a conversation today with the authors and I said, when you're contributing to this, it isn't a matter of, how do I say it? When you're feeling like you're unsure if you if you can do it and you're like, oh, like who am I? Who am I to do this? Everyone needs to be able to get their words out. And if that's something that you're drawn to do, there's someone out there that's that's looking to read it. And it's that one person, it's that one message that comes through that you're like, that was worth it. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you get a negative, it's so easy because, you know, we're, we get hung up on negative. Like oh, when we get stopped, right? completely yeah. stopped. Like, yeah. Because that's what we're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking for the negative naturally. We have to work harder to look for the positive. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's easy. It's funny because now that we say that, have you, Carly, have you ever like read a positive and then like gone back to it and played it over and over and over your head? You know, like, and, and I love that you said that. No, I mean, it's exactly, it's like, you'll play the negative a thousand yeah. times over in your mind, but right. it's one and you've got, you know, a hundred lovely people who love your work and love what you're doing, but that one can knock you off the rocker for an entire yeah. day. Even if it's, you know, it's gotta be constructive and that's fine. Yeah. I appreciate constructive negativity, but like just mean, I just, I, I have, it knocks you off your rocker. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. So we should repeat the positives, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But we, it, it, we don't get hung up on the positives, right? We don't get hung up there. We get hung up on those negatives. So when you feel like you're in that spiral first, it's a good opportunity to be like, oh, well, I need to check myself here. Cause what, what, how is this important? How, what impact does this actually have? But also you just said something there that was really important. When I was writing the conscious communicator, I had one person say one word to me and it stopped me writing for six months. And the word was really. So they said to me, and I know they didn't mean it in the way that I took it mm-hmm. now <laughs> after, you know, three years of, of being able to look at it. But they said, I heard you're writing a book. Really? And that really just nudged my own personal doubt enough that it it was like yeah really like why why am i doing this and it it knocked me off of my center and it took a lot of time for me to be able to go back and had i i guess there's two things here because had i not stopped writing 
my book would be very different than it is right now mm. because the end of my book was informed by different things that happened to, towards the end of my writing. So that's really interesting because now I'm having to think about that. But at the same time, had I not got a handle on it, I would have stopped writing entirely. Mm. And honestly, I think it was big magic that that was the catalyst to me re entering back into the creative space and, and saying, I like, I can do this. And there is a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so easy for us to land on those, those negative, those negative words that other people say, and then to think that they have, they have weight when they don't. Another, uh, inspirational piece there is in big magic. Do you remember the story where she talks about the idea that jumps from one person to the other because she had like, like thinking that ideas essentially have this energy behind them. And that if you don't bring this out, someone else is going to, and that is a huge motivator for me, where if I have this drive to produce something to whether that be a podcast, uh, a program, if I have this boiling in me and I can't stop thinking about it, if I tell myself that someone else is going to do it because I'm not, then it'll kind of kick me a little and be like, okay, well, you know, I feel like I should honor this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was really, it was really cool to read that and be like, oh yeah, I need to just do the thing. Yes. Yes. A big, big magic, highly recommend by Elizabeth mm -hmm. Gilbert. I'll link to it in the show notes so people can get directly to it. But yeah, that book completely shifted some of my views on creativity and, and as a motivator when you get, get stopped. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Now talk to us about, I think a lot of people are resistant to the idea of paying a coach mm -hmm to move their dreams forward just because, you know, because a lot of us starting small businesses or being authors or even horse owners, we're strapped, right? Like the extra cash isn't flying around all over the place for most of us. What would you say to somebody who's feeling resistant about investing in coaching in order to achieve their dreams? I love that you talked about the money piece of it right away, because mm -hmm. that's, that's real talk where it's like, if, and this is something I contend with, with with clients, right? Because if there was a breakdown in the direction of their horse, so let's say all of a sudden the horse has developed anxiety that they can't go and show the way that they plan to, more often than not, they will find a trainer and they will find the money to invest in that horse to be able to bring it to the, the potential that they hope it comes to. And I truly believe that we as people need that same drive to invest in ourselves as we do the horses. And I honestly feel like if we're only willing to invest in the horse, it's like laying of two different foundations under the same house and expecting that this dirt foundation is going to stand up the same as this like high-end top grade foundation that, you know, can withstand hurricanes. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we're only investing in one, then we're going to, we're going to be trying to compensate all of the time. And the other side to that is I truly and strongly believe that if your coach does not have a coach, you need to find a new coach. <laughs> so it's fair to say that I believe that it's essential to our growth as humans and riders to have 
whether it be a coach with our horses or a coach with us as, as people. And if you're, I feel like it's the same thing. Like I encourage my clients to go to therapy. So like if something comes to me, I can say to them, that's really something that you, that it would be a great topic for you and your therapist to work through. And it's important to understand that when we're looking for a coach, that we're looking for support, but it's not, it's not a replacement for other things that we might need down the road. So I think that's really important because I think that kind of gets confused or muddled sometimes where people think that coaches are trying to replace trained professionals in the medical field. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's really not the case. It's, it's a supplementary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, we're the supplements and, and they're the actual medications, (laughs) (laughs) right? You're not going to stop taking those things that your doctor prescribes you, but you, you might take your vitamin D because it's really important too. So that is not in my notes at all. That's completely uh, 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 just there because it's like, when I think of, of our coaching, it's, it's one of those things that it's easy to be able to say, you know, I'm going to put that money somewhere else. But again, it comes back to that foundation. Uh, and the, the, the coach is there because we all need reminding in order to stay present, in order to, to honor ourselves and what we know. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the coach is even going to tell us things that we don't know. Oftentimes when you have a coach, they're not teaching you new things. They're holding you accountable and they're supporting you through the difficulties that come up when you're doing the things that are hard. And the other part of it is that habits are habits that we create over a lifetime are incredibly sticky. Mm-hmm. Like they are going to just keep pulling you back in. And it's hard to see when you're stuck in a habit without having someone from the outside be able to say, wait a second, I thought you said this, or I thought you believed in this. And then finally you go, oh, right. Yeah. And they can just bring you back to what you already know. And that's, that's what I believe is the most important part um, we're always growing. Mm-hmm. There's, there is no stop to, you know, us developing as people or horse people. And so if we can have someone there to support us, then it's really, um, it's the easiest way I believe, but you know, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, well put. And I love the analogy of we'll always figure it out for our horse. Like, but why don't we yeah. invest that sort of thing in ourselves? You know, and, and yeah. accountability, helping you see your blind spots, knocking out those habits. But I love that you made the distinction between a licensed therapist and a coach. Like, you got to work with your therapist on, you know, that deep emotional stuff that's yeah. down in there. You work with a coach to help you, like, achieve these big goals, these big dreams, these big, while, while also being, a, being present and aware. But, but, being held accountable to achieve things, you know, and I love that you said a coach must have a coach. I totally 100% agree with that. Some of my biggest accomplishments in life have come through having a coach and being myself coachable, like hearing what they have to say. So I love that you shared that. Now, you've already answered what the hardest part about Mm -hmm. being a coach is like, what is the best part? And I imagine it touches on all the things you've already talked about, like just helping people make a difference, but I'll keep it brief too. I won't like (laughs) ramble on about it. So truly the best part of being a coach is 
it's not even the messages that are, that I'm getting like while I'm doing the coaching, it's the messages after the coaching that say this, this impacted me here today, or I was able to recall this today and it helped me uh, communicate better in this situation or, you know, uh, my favorite one is, maybe it's a little creepy, but it's still my favorite, is when I hear people say, and it, I think it happens because, and you might hear this too, is, is because I have a podcast. So mm -hmm. even people who don't know me, they connect to the sound of my voice. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, oh my gosh, like I, I was in this situation, I could hear you. Like your voice was there and I can say like, oh, what would he say right now? Mm -hmm. And so that that's the best part. And so you've mentioned a couple of things like you, you, you know, the two podcasts, this new, newer one where you're like really deep diving on some interesting, really interesting topics. You've got another book in the works where you're collaborating with other authors, you know, kind of where are you heading? What are you curious about? Like what's, what's next for all this amazingness that you've built up here? Oh gosh, where am I heading? Uh, I was really, I loved your, your question uh, when I was reading and I was like, where am I heading? Like where? <laughs> Where am I heading? I'm definitely heading more into the the group dynamic of things and really creating more of those opportunities for horsewomen. But I also am super curious about Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And so if you haven't looked into him, he's he's I don't, I think incredible is the word that comes up, but it doesn't even do justice for his work. Uh, and it's around meditation and how we can transform our bodies through our mind. And, oh, it's so good. Uh, I'd love to be able to go off and do a workshop, weekend workshop with him at some point. Uh, super curious about light touch massage, such as like the Masterson method with Jim Masterson. And I feel like that kind of connects back to all the, the meditation piece where you can actually be with your horse, tune into your own body and just quiet yourself so much that you're actually helping your horse. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I really uh, want to invest some time there, but I have to, I had a conversation with somebody today who's also an entrepreneur and it's like, you get all these opportunities and you get these, right. You get these lights of inspiration. You're like, I want to go here. I want to go there. And if maybe if I don't jump on that right now, it's not going to come back to me. And then you're completely overwhelmed and you're not doing anything. So, um, those two things, Jim Masterson and, and Dr. Joe Dispenza, those are two directions I'm going to go in. I'm just dabbling right now, but I can see myself kind of going deeper into that, mm -hmm. uh, because they're, they're both, they're two, two, two totally different things, but two very cool, cool things. Oh, and I can totally see how learning about that would be complementary to the work and the group settings that you're creating. And, but I love that you mentioned it is so, sometimes it's hard to remind yourself to stay in your lane because like on a daily, as an author on a daily basis, I, or an entrepreneur, I mean, it's like the podcast and then there's this, and then there's this, you can start getting so out here. You have to remind yourself to come back to the lane because, you know, I have all these book ideas that I've written down in my journal, like book, 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 book different ideas. And then, but I'm like, wait, just going to finish my in the rain series. I'm going to stay in this lane and then I can move over here and start a new series or write this other book. But it's like, I got to stay with what's working right now, because if, if you get out of that, you can start getting overwhelmed and then you're right. You're not doing anything. You're not writing. You're not yeah. creating because you're just like, whoa, there's too much going on. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, I love that. 
Oh my gosh. I, you know, I feel like I could talk to you all day long and I really feel like this might be the beginning of a, of a cool friendship or relationship between us because like, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from here. But in the meantime, would you share with listeners where they can find about more about the work you offer about you know, where they can find your podcast and particularly where they can find your book? Would you share that with us? Sure. So the places on social media most active would probably be Instagram. I'm not as active on Facebook, which is interesting because that used to be where I spent all my time. Uh, I think COVID had something to do with that. So Instagram and at Nikki Porter coaching. Um, my Facebook page is at Nikki Porter author. Uh, but again, there's nothing really new there. It's mostly on Instagram. Uh, it, well, it's new. It's stuff from Instagram over there. And uh, it, at Informed Equestrian is, is the Canada Horse Podcast. And Nadine is in charge of that Instagram account. And I'm telling you, you will see what I mean when I say she's brilliant because she does, she's in charge of all of that and it's beautiful. She has done an incredible job. Um, so you can check that out there. And I, oh, I also share about, you know, I'll be sharing more about the upcoming program with Beth through Instagram and the book is on Amazon or if somebody wanted a signed copy, then uh, they can just message me directly and I can send them off a signed copy. And I think that's pretty much it. My website's nikkiporter.ca and informedequestrian.com. Perfect. And I will link to all those places in the show notes so people can get directly to you, but I just wanted them to know where they can find you and, you know, keep up the amazing work. I am like so impressed and I really enjoyed this conversation and I wish you so, so much success. I can't wait to hear more from you and maybe we'll have you back on the show when that next book comes around. Well, I would love to be back on and I'm really grateful to be on. And again, yes, keep in touch. I would love to, uh, to continue this conversation with you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.